Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Paul, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Yes, I'm Paul Brewer. I'm a professor of communication at the University of Delaware, and my specialty is uh, science in the media, technology in the media, and the paranormal in the media. So I'm interested in questions like, what do people believe about paranormal topics, and how do media messages influence their beliefs? What do you think people believe about the paranormal? It partly depends on what paranormal topics you're talking about. So there are some topics, like if you ask people, do you believe in UFOs? Uh, these days, at least half the public would say yes to that question. And that's actually gone up over the past few years with a lot of media attention to uh, news stories and government hearings about unidentified aerial phenomena. If you ask people about extrasensory perception or ESP, you might also get half of the public saying that they believe in it. If you ask about other topics like, say, cryptids, like, say, Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster, you might get more like maybe a quarter of the public. Or if you ask about some of the more obscure cryptids like Mothman, you might get 15%, partly because not as many people are familiar. So it varies across different topics. So some topics seem more legitimate to people than others, but there's a group of sociologists back in the 2010s, they wrote a book, it's a really good book, I recommend it, called Paranormal America. So they looked at a lot of surveys of the public, and one of the conclusions they came away with is a majority of Americans hold at least one paranormal belief. So it's not necessarily socially weird or deviant to believe in the paranormal, it's belief in the paranormal is fairly common. It's part of our culture, I feel like. There's always this kind of belief. I mean, if you look at rituals or depictions throughout history, there's been something of like this extra realm or something of that sort. There's always something mystical that gets brought in. And like for my generation, it'd be different. It'd be X-Files. It would be types of paranormal shows that really influenced it. And I feel like movies do that as well, too. Uh, movies always do a depiction of something, either if it's demonic or it's something like that with an afterlife, or it boils down to ghosts or monsters or something of that sort. Just our society has always kind of had this fascination with it. Yes, very much so. And, and looking at media messages about this topic, one take I have is that this is really, the, the media portrayals that we see now are in some ways just a continuation of centuries or even millennia of folklore and culture surrounding paranormal topics, ghosts, monsters, and so we have new media platforms for telling those stories, but the stories pass down through the generations. And you talk about you know, the X-Files. I was a big fan of the X-Files when it was on. Uh, I'm a child of the 80s. So watching Ghostbusters as a kid was a big influence on me. I'll admit I wanted to be a Ghostbuster Everyone when I did. grew up. Uh, so, you know, now in my, in my job, I do Ghostbuster related stuff. So I kind of sort of got there, I guess. I guess what I would ask your opinion on the good of it, like the good in our culture of having this belief in like the paranormal ghosts, any of these types of things. Yes. Well, if you ask, so some skeptics and scientists would argue that there's not much good in it, that belief in the paranormal is troubling because it reflects a lack of understanding of science and scientific evidence. And maybe it goes hand in hand with a susceptibility to misinformation. So there's a controversy back in the 2010s. You might remember this Discovery Channel uh, faux documentary called Mermaids, The Body Found. So this was a Discovery Channel documentary. And so it's this footage of evidence of mermaids, real life mermaids. You know, it's CGI. It's work of fiction. And they have a disclaimer at the beginning of it. But, you know, it's like a quick disclaimer at the beginning and then a whole story about finding found footage of mermaids. And part of the story is that there's a conspiracy by NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, covering up evidence for mermaids. So NOAA had to put out a statement. And so some marine biologists say this not only you know, damages the credibility of scientific institutions, but also if NOAA is saying stuff about climate change, for example, maybe if people don't believe NOAA because they're hiding the evidence from mermaids, they don't believe what NOAA has to say about climate change either. So that's one point of view. On the other hand, you also have, you know, obviously this brings entertainment to a lot of people. It's kind of a more of a passion project for some people. Maybe it brings meaning to their life. For some people, it's akin to a spiritual or religious experience. And then you also have some scientists who argue that maybe 
that it's not so bad for science that people who, for example, are interested in pursuing cryptozoology, maybe that helps prompt their interest in more conventional areas of zoology. So there, there are pro and con arguments for why this is either you know, bad for society or maybe good for society, or maybe it's just fun for people. Where do you find that your views tend to fall? Do you? I mean, I think it's like the Hollywood. Obviously, it's Hollywood. I think there's a line. I think most people don't go super deep into it, but then there's people that get lured into. Like, I have a problem with people that are online acting like they're psychics and they can read people's horoscopes and a dead family members talking to them. Talk to people, plenty of people from the Skeptic Inquiry or whatever that magazine's called that have been on my show talking about the dangers of people losing their life savings. That's a horrible thing. And then also we get into like the YouTube stuff where people just want to go with their friends and go record some stuff in their house, which I don't see as really necessarily a problem. Honestly, I consider that more trustworthy than the X-Files where I've had people who've talked about the horror histories behind prisons and the X-Files have gone there to do their investigations. And they gave me the behind the scenes of like, hey, it's day six and we got no shots of anything. So you got to do something to make it seem like on day seven we get a shot. So we're not just wasting money out here. Yeah, so I guess my, my view on it is complex. On the one hand, obviously I'm interested in the topic because I'm doing research on it. So it's not, I, I think people's beliefs about it and what they say about it is worthy of you know, scholarly research. Uh, given that I do research on this and I talk to people from the media from time to time, inevitably the question comes up, you know, what is my own take on it? And so my standard response for that is, is I personally have not seen or experienced anything that I would take as scientific evidence of paranormal phenomena. Uh, on the uh, So if we're talking about X-Files terms, I'm more of a scully than a molder. On the other hand, I think it's fun. And I think it's, it's a nuanced topic because you know, it's one thing to watch the X-Files or Ghostbusters, which are clearly works of fiction, or you know, take kind of like a, a fun interest in ghost hunting or Bigfoot hunting. Uh, but there are some, you know, there is a dark side to it as well. Uh, you brought up people being conned out of their life savings. Or one, one particular case that uh, always kind of bothered me was there's this guy, a psychic, John Edwards. I don't know if you remember him. He was really popular for a few years back around the turn of the millennium. He had a show called Crossing Over. He's basically what the folks at Skeptical Inquirer would call uh, a cold reader, uh, also maybe a hot reader. There are two different techniques for making it seem like you're a psychic, either researching your audience beforehand or just making a series of guesses and basing your responses to those guesses on how your audience is, is taking it. So he he maybe went too far when he was did a special trying to contact victims of 9-11. That's kind of crass and exploitative. And pretty pretty readily debunked so you know for me it i'm i'm not a a believer but i'm not necessarily out there to rain on people's lawn well when does it start like would you consider it science what some of those people obviously the x-files i wouldn't consider that science but when you start breaking out technology like that or whatever they're using whether it's effective or not the way that they display it so the public doesn't know well, I don't know if any of those EMF things actually work or if any of those things actually pick up anything. I always said it was just sounds like they're picking up something from like a radio frequency when you're trying to bleed through the channels. But when they start pulling out instruments and there's technology out there, I mean, even corporations now have found a market to try and turn what they would call this into new science or I think it was a parapsychosocial or something like that or the extra sense or something like that. There's always this marketing aspect that gets brought in and people who are ghost hunters want to do it for fun end up spending, you know, $3,000 on a spirit box or an EMF thing that I don't know, because I don't know too much about it to be able to tell them if they're wrong or not. Yeah, so this is actually one of the specific topics that I'm interested in. So there, paranormal stuff's really popular back in the 90s. It kind of, interest in it goes up and down. I think there's sort of an interesting sociology of when people are into the paranormal and when it's less prominent. So like after World War One you get a lot of people interested in mediums and you know, contacting people on the other side. And so that makes sense. A lot of people might have lost young, young men from their family during World War I. Uh, there's also the, the, the Spanish flu at the time, the influenza epidemic that, that killed just as many people. 
Uh, then in the 1950s, it's another Cold War. You've got UFOs. 90s was another period. And so there was some initial research on media messages and people's belief in the paranormal. And so one thing they found was if people were exposed to like a news story or a documentary where there was a scientific source saying, you know, there's, there's a scientific case for this, audience members were more likely to believe. If you had a scientist saying that this is not credible, then that undermined people's beliefs. But you also have people like, I think of the, the TV show Ghost Hunters, where they use a lot of this technology that you're talking about, like the, uh, the infrared uh, cameras, they've got the, the thermometers, they've got the recording devices, they're trying to find cold spots, they're trying to record EVPs. And so they have, they have a lot of technical jargon that they use and they present what they're doing as though they're scientific investigators and they have a scientific method. Now, if you look at, if you talk to, to working scientists, they would say this is not science. But the trick is, the key is that these people present themselves as scientists. So did a study, an experiment where people read a news story about paranormal investigators, and if they just presented themselves as people doing traditional kind of spiritualist investigations, like, you know, they're trained to be a medium, they had experience as a kid where they heard bumps in the attic, that kind of stuff. That kind of coverage, those kind of messages didn't make people more likely to believe that paranormal investigators are credible or scientific or make audience members more likely to believe in ghosts and haunted houses. But if you gave audience members a version of the message where you have paranormal investigators talking about their technology and their, their scientific methods and using scientific jargon, then audience members were more likely to see them as scientific and credible and more likely to believe in ghosts and haunted houses. So I call that kind of the trappings of science. So when people who are doing paranormal research surround themselves with scientific talk and scientific look and scientific equipment, some audience members may take that as a signal, oh, these people really know what they're talking about. They're really finding evidence of paranormal phenomena. What do you say when they bring in someone who is a science scientist who believes in that thing? You know, I've had Avi Loeb on the show. I've had Michael Shermer on the show. Both of them are part of the Galileo Project, and one's a skeptic, and one believes that there's aliens, and the comment was sent here from another dimension or whatever he wants to say. That becomes an issue because now you have two scientists with two credibilities, two – well, one's still practicing, Avi is, and then the other one, Michael Shermer, just is, is a – author and does that and debunk stuff so what do you do when they bring in a scientist on the screen and it says scientist researcher or whatever their profession is and they're sitting there telling you something would you i would consider that fringe but also then it's more convincing as well too when you have one of them on your show yeah so we did have another condition in our study where there was a scientist quoted that said that this isn't science it's not credible we did that with the paranormal investigators we also did it with a story on esp because back in the early 2010s, there was a big name psychologist, Daryl Bim, who published an article on ESP. He called it PSI, PSI. Uh, and he was arguing that he had experimental evidence of basically precognition. And so he did a big media blitz. He was on you know, broadcast evening news. He was on the Colbert Report with Stephen Colbert. And he got coverage in the New York Times. So we gave audience members a story where it's just Bim presenting his research, and it made people more likely to believe in ESP. But he had his critics in psychology, so we also had a version where we quoted one of those critics, I think his name is Ray Hyman, debunking what Ben was saying, and that took away basically the, the credibility that just having Ben in there presented. Same story with our paranormal investigator experiment. So scientific credibility can give, it can also take away when it comes to making paranormal research look legitimate in the eyes audience members. Do you think that media has a responsibility to play both sides? That means if you're going to run a program with nothing but paranormal stuff and investigators, then, then they should also have something that debunks some of the things or try and explain some of the things, more of a scientific investigation of it. Yeah, that sounds reasonable to me, but then you have to be careful with the both sides logic because that's that's a pretty common approach to objective journalism, that it's the job of the reporter to simply present, well, this side says this, this side says that, and you, the audience, decide. I think that gets trickier, though, when you're talking about scientific topics 
and there's a scientific consensus on one side and uh, little to no scientific evidence on the other side. So in a case like that, if a journalist simply presents both sides, you, the viewer, decide, then is it giving a distorted picture of the science? Because in the story, both sides get equal weight. But in scientific research, one side might have 95 to 99% of the weight. And so the, the conversation in the scientific community ends up looking very different than the conversation in news media coverage. So people worry about that on topics like climate change, where you've got talking head says climate change is real, talking head says climate change is not real. You, the viewer, decide when most scientists believe there's a scientific consensus on climate change. Do you think that the science is more about trying to prove the fact, or do you think it's more about trying to debunk the other person's point? Yeah, so I think in particular in paranormal stuff, uh, there aren't a lot of scientists who are publishing in journals debunking stuff because the consensus is there's no evidence. I think the, it's a rare case where you have someone like BIM who's publishing research, and when they do, it gets a lot of scrutiny because it's very much going against mainstream scientific opinion. So there, there tends to be a pretty strong backlash as there was with that Journal of Personality and Social Psychology article on ESP. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's difficult. Like I've had Mick West on here about debunking UFOs and stuff like that. But then you also hear the government acknowledging unidentified aerial phenomena, which I don't believe is aliens at all. I believe it's government tech 100%. But I don't know what that is. And that just distorts the public's perception even more. So then you have some of the skeptics that were even shouting from the rooftops debunking this or saying this looks like this go silent. And then now they just fight on Twitter about stupid stuff, which I don't think does a good disservice of it either. So it's like you got two sides fighting that are never going to agree. Everyone has their own perspective. It's not about changing someone's mind. But I do believe in the equal amount of information that should be spread. Like if you have one side's opinion, you should definitely have the other sides up there as well, too. Yeah. So since you brought up UAPs, that obviously is one of the big topics in the paranormal world these days. And so we pretty recently did a study trying to see why does that get lumped in with paranormal? Uh, I think it partly because we call it we could call it paranormal. Sometimes I prefer to use the term fringe. So we're talking about things that are on the border or outside the borders of conventional mainstream science. Uh, so the UAP phenomena is an interesting case because here's somewhere where you, we talk about scientists being credible sources. Well, a lot of people, uh, government sources are also pretty credible. So if you have uh, people in government, like, so there's a Department of Defense report saying that there's area, unidentified area phenomena that they can't explain. You have United States senators saying we need more research on that. Those kind of messages tend to convey an aura of legitimacy to a topic. And you see that in public opinion polls. So Gallup had polls about people's belief in UFOs before and after that story broke. And people's beliefs went up. And I thought one of the most interesting things was people who are uh, the, the most educated respondents in the sample were the people who were most likely to increase their belief in UFOs after that story broke. Now, I think the story there is people who are more educated are more likely to follow the news. So they're suddenly seeing these stories in mainstream news sources about UAPs. And so one, they're seeing the stories and two, they're seeing that people who mainstream society holds up as legitimate sources like United States senators and the Pentagon are suddenly talking about that and it conveys an aura of legitimacy around it. So we did a survey. We asked people, do you believe in UFOs? We also, one thing about this topic is people's level of belief depends on how what kinds of questions you're asking. So if you just ask people if they believe in UFOs, that's more than half the public. If you ask people, uh, is this evidence of extraterrestrial intelligence visiting the Earth? Then belief goes down. A lot of people still believe that. And so we were interested in, do people's media habits, are they linked to their beliefs about these kinds of topics? And we found, yeah, they are. So there were, there were four kinds of media use that were linked to believing in UFOs and extraterrestrials. So I think the news is typically when that's on there, a lot of people's beliefs start to increase, even if you're a skeptic or not. Like academic, I was surprised the academic community was pretty silent about it. Um, I have friends that study exoplanets and, you know, a bunch of other things that make my head kind of spin around in circles a little bit when they start talking. But they just were silent about the whole thing in general. Then I have a friend who's followed by Barack Obama on Twitter who studies UAPs and 
I don't know what that that I don't know what that means, but it starts to lend a little bit of credibility to me. Not on the aspect that there's other dimensions or things of that sort, but like I can't say for sure because I just don't know. But I do believe like government tech, that type of issue. You know, when they start saying that, you have for the longest time they were debunking and lying about it, and the next thing you know, you get another lie. I'm more susceptible of the government lying to you. I'll tell you that much. I don't trust anything that really comes out out of what they say. Yeah, and that's just so. And a lot of government has gotten in on the action. We talk about the Department of Defense. NASA is as well. I believe there's actually a UD professor who was on NASA's task force studying UAPs. So that's, that's getting some news coverage as well. In our study, we specifically found that Fox viewers were more likely to believe in UFOs and extraterrestrials. Uh, and if you actually look at Fox's coverage, Fox covers this more than the other cable networks do and more than the broadcast networks do. And uh, not necessarily in a partisan way, but uh, Tucker Carlson, before he, he was, uh, uh, before he lost his show, uh, was particularly notable for having lots of UFO, UAP-related content. So people who watch a lot of Fox News more likely to believe in this. People who watch paranormal reality and documentary shows like Showtime had a series about this. History has ancient aliens. Uh, but interestingly, I think not watching science fiction. So watching reality and documentary shows about paranormal stuff is linked to believing in UFOs, extraterrestrials, a lot of other paranormal phenomena too, but not watching science fiction. So people do seem to draw a distinction between these media are presenting this as based on a true story versus stuff like X-Files or Stranger Things or No, which is more obviously fictional story. Do you think everybody goes in knowing that, that when they're watching something like Skinwalker Ranch or something of that sort, that it's there's a fantasy aspect to it. It's not necessarily the truth. It's not stuff that they would get from like someone's YouTube channel. I feel like a lot of people would have more weight into someone's YouTube channel that would be discussing those subjects with a person who might be investigating or doing those types of things. Jeremy Corbell, um, Joe Rogan's a great example. His influence is insane when it comes to UA UAPs and UFOs and things of that sort. So I feel like to them that was like, oh, he had a research scientist on, started explaining this and what they saw. Plus, there's plenty of UAP channels out there on YouTube that have probably way more of a viewing than Skinwalker Ranch or any of it. And that's my buddy show, so I'm not going to diss him, but there's a lot of that YouTube content that's now easy, free. It's on there. I like listening to it. Some of the stuff, Coast to Coast was a big influence um, for me. Art Bell shows specifically, mostly because you heard things you didn't never really heard of, you know, not just the UAP stuff, but I like the government crap, too. Yeah, so we looked into, because it's such a big part of the media landscape now, we also looked into podcasts and YouTube. And another thing that we found was Joe Rogan listeners are more likely to believe in UFOs and extraterrestrials. So not podcasting in general, but Rogan in particular, Rogan listeners stand out for believing in UFOs. So does seem to be some evidence for an impact there. In terms of YouTube, people who use YouTube more are also more likely to be, believe in UFOs and UAPs. And so like, so what, what messages are out there about UFOs on, on YouTube? And so we did a study, we took the top 25 videos in terms of views that we could find about UFOs or UAPs and analyzed them. We also took the top 25 videos about paranormal investigators or haunted houses or hauntings or ghosts and analyzed them. And if you're looking on YouTube, if you're doing searches for this and you're finding information, once you get past, you know, stuff that's not relevant, like music videos for the band U UFO or the heavy metal band Ghost, fan of them, but not relevant to our study, uh, that most of these videos are affirming that the paranormal, these paranormal phenomena or UFOs are real or might be real. And a lot of them have sources, especially the, the UFO, UAP videos, scientific sources or government sources. And a lot of these videos also have footage that is purportedly of UFOs or paranormal phenomena. So there's a lot of kind of message content on YouTube that I think would lead people who are getting their information from YouTube to be more likely to believe in this phenomenon. What about the dangers of social media? Yeah, well, if you look at where these videos are coming from. Uh, TikTok, TikTok. 
Yeah, now we haven't looked at TikTok, although I, I've done some other, I'm working on another project to do with TikTok and science. So definitely a growth area for research in this, on this topic. But uh, compared to traditional media, there's not the gatekeepers that there used to be. So some of these top videos are from, you know, traditional media outlets like the History Channel or ABC News or something like that. But then some of them are independent media platforms, which on the one hand, social media gives an opportunity for more voices to be part of the conversation. But on the other hand, you know, audience members might have to dig harder to figure out where this information is coming from. Who are these people who are, who are putting this information out there on social media platforms? Yeah, there's certain hashtags you can use that'll get you lumped into categories. I don't think it necessarily like someone shows a video of a UAP flying. I don't look at it and go, oh, my God, UAPs exist. And then want to go buy a bunch of tuna and stock it up in a basement somewhere. But when you when you look at how many people start to do go down the rabbit hole, and I think it is because of the media, they do tend to get lost. And it's very hard to connect back with that person. Like, it, I think we all know at least one person that has stepped over the edge of going into the what the rabbit hole is and it's very like they're just it's un, untangible you can't have a discussion with them about certain things but their belief is good i like the belief factor of things but it becomes to a point where it starts to hinder their own life as well too like wanting to think everything is going to out there to kill them or something like that yeah and so that stuff doesn't come up as much in my research because we're looking kind of at the wide audience here so when people say they believe we're not even 100% sure what they what exactly does someone say mean when they say in our surveys i believe in this do they believe in it in a scientifically as a scientifically verifiable phenomena do they believe in it because they want to believe in it so now i might be more of a scully do i want to believe that there are ghosts do i want to believe that there are uh, ufo's coming from alien civilizations visiting us that that would be neat uh, so the people who are down the rabbit hole, and so obviously for some people, this is a really big part of their life. Yeah. And like I said, you know, maybe even more religious or spiritual experience or an identity. And so uh, we haven't looked at much at people who are at that end of the spectrum on this. We're much more looking at the general public. Now, when you're looking at, are you looking at countries? Are you looking at states? Does it, is there a wide spike in where you can tell where people have certain amount of beliefs, like paranormal beliefs, compared to another area that might not have as many paranormal beliefs? So we're mostly focusing on the United States, although there are, there are some survey organizations that have done polling on this in places like the UK. And there are big paranormal people down there. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't think the United States is in any way unique either in terms of the media messages that are out there or in terms of public belief. I have to ask, when they, like the government, for instance, when they create a whole new academic field to study unidentified aerial phenomena, does that, I mean, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I feel like that only can, can enforces the beliefs of people that would want to believe those types of things. Yeah, well, certainly if if there's, information in the information space that you know, the government is saying this is a legitimate thing, this is worth throwing a lot of money at, this is worth establishing task force on, then that that does send a signal to at least some people who are paying attention that this is, is credible. Uh, in terms of why they're doing that, you know, I'm not qualified to, to speak, but there seems to be a lot of money uh, for doing this. Uh, whether this is, you know, more of a boondoggle or if it's something to do with people worried about foreign security threats, you know, there's there's probably many, many papers and many YouTube videos to be made about why exactly the government is talking about this so much now. It could just be politicians like cameras. And so this is something that gets gets people in the news if they talk about it. So. I'm not going to go too far on a limb for that. So it is definitely notable that the federal government is paying more attention to this than they have in the past. But what that means, I'll let other people tackle that one. Can I ask what the most revealing thing to you was about your study when it came to the paranormal or even the UAP one? Yeah. So I think across the board, I mentioned 
that it's it's not it's not science fiction. It's uh, paranormal theme media, media specifically focused on that that present what they're looking at as real. So we could be talking about TV shows like Ghost Hunters and Ancient Aliens. We could be talking about news stories like Tucker Carlson's special about UAPs. We could be talking about podcasts like Joe Rogan's. We could be talking about these YouTube channels. It's it's channels that it's it's media platforms that present messages about this as though they're real, incredible, and scientific. That seems to matter. Now, one thing I haven't talked about yet, but it carries over to this is cryptids. So in the kind of the continuum of paranormal or fringe topics, cryptids are probably Bigfoot. Yeah, Bigfoot. Hundred uh, percent. Uh, Sasquatch, Yeti, Arnold Snowman, uh, Mothman. Uh, that they don't have quite the aura of legitimacy as say UAPs or ESP or even paranormal investigators, but still, you know, like a quarter to a third of the public say that they believe in these phenomena. So we did a couple national surveys where we asked people, do you believe in these various cryptids? Uh, but some people, not everybody, but some people, when they're answering the questions, we also showed them images. So one of them was like a, a promotional image for Finding Bigfoot, the Animal Planet TV show. Another group saw a promotional image for Mermaid, this Mermaid's documentary from the Discovery Channel. Another group saw a PBS show a image for a program about Mothman. Uh, and so in every case we looked at, if you show people this image while you're asking them, they're more likely to say that they believe in it. And so what we took away from that is these, even like a still image of a media, a promotional image for a media program with a recognizable name like Animal Planet or PBS or Discovery Channel, that's enough to legitimize for some people this phenomenon and make them more likely to say that they believe in it. I mean, would you also blame the states as well, too? A lot of those glorify the cryptid aspect as well, too. Virginia does with Mothman. Uh, even Roswell does with the whole UFO thing. Their McDonald's is in the form of that. It's great marketing, but that also enforces the same beliefs as well, too. I mean, money town makes money off of it, and then you start hearing all these rings. It's like when you watch a movie and the person says, I swear I saw it in there. It's, it turns out the mayor was just trying to set something up so they get more profits for their town. Yeah, there's actually, I think there's there's some research in, it's not my field, but some people in tourism studies are interested in this because it can have a big tourism impact. You mentioned New Mexico, you know, that's that's Roswell's economy. Uh, there's a small town in West Virginia that has an annual Mothman festival, like Loch Ness in Scotland. I'm sure they're doing some pretty big tourism dollars there. And on this topic, as with all these topics, one of the things I want to look at next is to try to separate out the people who are, who are doing this, interested in this, just because it's fun. They don't necessarily believe this is a scientifically verifiable phenomena versus the people who believe that this is this is something you could discover, that maybe there's a difference there. Uh, yeah, you know, I grew up in Kentucky, and so Kentucky has its own cryptids. You know, you've got the, the Hawkins to a Goblins, which is kind of an early uh, alien story. You've got the Public Monster, it's actually kind of more of a serious tragedy story. Hmm? That's in Pennsylvania. Uh, the Pope Lick one is in, uh, so there's so many cryptids, they can get mixed up. So in Louisville, Kentucky, there's a railroad trestle. And so there's supposed to be this monster that lives beneath it. And yeah, I know. It's the, with, it's the only one with a death count, but I thought that was in Pennsylvania. Pretty sure, because it's some Kentucky pride here, but maybe not something to be proud of in this case, because, yeah, it does have a death count because people have gone on the railroad tracks, but they're active railroad tracks, and so people have died messing around on on this. So that's one, you know, one kind of way that these legends can have serious consequences. Out of all the media stuff, news aside, and but when it comes to strictly like in a category movies, books um i wouldn't say now because yeah tv shows which do you think has the most impact like if you could rate them from first second third which do you think has the most impact that that, that can be tricky comparing so uh, here's some tentative rankings though i think it, looking at historical legacy media 
I think TV is the number one factor just because since the 60s on, it's been people's number one source of media consumption. So, and TV is also where you get these messages that it's not just portraying things as fictional, but portraying things as potentially real. So the paranormal reality of documentary shows, the news stories, whereas movies, you know, there might be, you know, Blair Witch Project presented itself as real. Uh, maybe even a few people believed in that. But I think most people took that for fiction. And then most most movies that deal with paranormal topics are pretty obviously fictional. Then books, you know, I'm a big book fan. I've got like Ocker's The United States of Cryptids uh, under my under my laptop right now, helping uh, prop it up. But to be honest, there aren't that many book readers these days. So if you're looking for influence on the public as a whole, books are generally not not the place to look. Uh, but challenging TV now, you've got things like podcasts and especially, I think, video sharing platforms like YouTube. You, you look at look at data on the public from the Pew Research Center and other sources, you know, you've got 90% of the public using YouTube. So that's a huge audience. And these videos that we were looking at in our study, you know, they, they've got like some of the millions or even tens of millions of views. Well, what would you consider a spectacle YouTube channel to look to towards evidence or information? Yeah, so... It's it's a little tougher there because one thing we noticed is that the top videos were really from all over the place. So, uh, you know, you got one from 60 Minutes, which was one of the top ones, but then you, some of the top ones are basically just YouTube broadcasts of Joe Rogan podcasts. You've got you know, TV shows like uh, History Channel stuff. Uh, and then you've got stuff I've never heard of especially when we were looking at cryptid videos, you know, some of those channels were, you know, they, they were very, they weren't even associated with kind of indie media platforms. It's just some person has a YouTube channel. So I think that's one, you could argue that's one of the beauties of social media in that it's a much more open landscape. You know, maybe about half of the videos we looked at were associated with traditional legacy uh, media uh, sources, but, but half of them weren't. So it's much more wide open, but I think it makes it so that there's not necessarily one place where people are going and it makes it trickier to evaluate the, the credibility of whoever you're getting your information from. When it comes to roadblocks, when it comes to science explanation, what do, you, what do they do in the paranormal world when they deal with the religion wall? When someone brings up its religion thing, you know, there's a thing that demons, ghosts, those types of back and forth, people have distinctive categories to put what they want into there. But what do they do when they come across the someone talking about demons or something talking about that sort and they get hit with the religion wall? How do they tend to deal with that? Yeah, so this is kind of a tricky area. And as someone who does research on this, there's no bright line you can draw between what's belief in the paranormal and what's belief in religious phenomena. There's some religious studies people who are really interested in trying to kind of explore the, the blurry area between these two. I haven't delved into that so much myself. So I, I've tended to stick to stuff that's more clearly out of the religion box, like uh, UFOs, UAPs, cryptids, ESP. There are also some stuff that gets into things maybe you could call new age beliefs or, or, or Wicca beliefs, stuff like astrology. Do you believe in astrology? Uh, do I believe in astrology? I, I am not a believer in astrology. But again, this is a topic that uh, lots of people believe in. And one thing I am interested in studying about this is I feel like there, there's potentially a, a gender dynamic. Oh, 100%. 100%. There's a gender gap here. And then, you know, as someone who has a more scientific mindset, I, I'm not a believer in astrology, but then you look at how some people attack people who believe in astrology in a way that there might there might be a sexist element to attacks on it compared to, you know, there are some paranormal phenomena that where there's more even gender balance, or it might even be, we actually didn't find huge gender divides on topics like uh, cryptids or ESP or UFOs or things like that. But I think with astrology, crystal Crystal energy, that kind of thing, there might be a stronger gender divide. 
that's just because there's something about astrology that explains something emotions basically it's trying to put a ration or cap on emotions which i just can't stand because you can't rationalize with emotion you can't cap you can't put a pin on this oh you're feeling like that because you're a virgo or you're this and this is that that just doesn't make sense to me i'm like hang on a second that's not why at all there's a whole other host of multifactorial things that are going on to get a person to feel that way but it's definitely trending more and also the psychic aspect of things as well too reiki energy healing is another one where people are paying to go to classes and be master reiki energy healers and i don't know what that is i don't maybe it's just i mean if you're in a positive mood um, and you're in a good mood and you're on someone who's in a bad mood, you could cheer that person up somehow. And I don't know like that whole thing is, I know there's been like one study that was done by, it was like bringing in, uh, when a patient's sick, if you bring in things that they love or they enjoy like their family and stuff like that, it can help a person patient recover quicker. But that's like as far to the extent that I know about the whole hands over somebody doing that. No, 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 not happening with me. Yeah. There, there's a world of, you know, that gets into stuff like holistic medicine and so there are people doing research on that. Haven't dug into that too much myself in terms of media messages and people's belief. The astrology stuff, uh, I definitely thinking about doing some more research on people's belief. Please about do. That. Also, also tarot cards, tarot readings. Oh, I've had my cards read twice on here. Both of them, I got the death card, which I don't know what that means. Okay, so I, I'm not a tarot person, but my the way I've always heard it is that, so you get the death card, that sounds bad. Uh, but uh, that it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, you got the death card, you're going to die. That it's it's often interpreted as a symbol of a transition of sorts. So could be death, could be something less, less permanent. Uh, again, <laughs> not, not my area of expertise, but that's that's my understanding. Would you call all of this paranormal UAPs, all that type of stuff, conspiracy? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it conspiracy. With UFOs, definitely there are some conspiratorial aspects of people's beliefs and the stories that get told. So that it's part of government cover-up. Uh, and there's some research, uh, either I've seen some polling that suggests that belief in conspiracies is linked to belief in paranormal fringe phenomena. So people who believe in Bigfoot might be more likely to believe in vaccine conspiracy theories for example. So, and that, that makes intuitive sense uh, that the kind of mindset uh, that believes that there's hidden truth might believe that there's multiple kinds of hidden truth that are all related. Uh, so there could be some overlap there, but I also don't want to overstate that. So there, there are lots of people who believe in things like UFOs, or say JFK's assassination. We can get to that if you want. I'll be more than happy to debunk that one. <laughs> yeah. So very popular government conspiracy theory. So these things, they they can go hand in hand belief in them, but it's not like it's not like a deterministic thing. It's not necessarily a really tight fit. That people's beliefs are complicated and and you know, three hundred some million people in the United States and you got three hundred million different belief systems too yeah i would i would i would ask i mean you probably looked over my youtube channel and seen some things would you consider me a conspiracy theorist be honest about it it's fine uh i you know i'm not gonna <laughs> that's a I'm yes gonna, but that's fine dude i'm not gonna uh i i, I will admit I, I i glanced at them i did not watch enough to be comfortable attaching labels so i'll i'll kick it back to you do you consider yourself a conspiracy theorist because some people will embrace the label well if you research conspiracy i mean what's conspiring to it is what's that one or more individuals conspiring to do something more in the realms of like historical subjects things that have like mk ultra things that are documents were destroyed on it yeah, but then yeah, that's but it's well accepted that there's a lot of stuff just to the extent of how far it goes i'm more about like what i can see through a document a government document um, and like the JFK stuff, I mean, I've had Shermer on the show before I was actually interested in JFK. He brought up like a really good point. I think he puts in his new book, which is the president gets multiple death threats a day. And the fact that Secret Service didn't take the prior death threat on Kennedy before he went to Dallas seriously is not it's not a huge conspiracy thing. That makes a lot of sense. Like 100 percent. I'd agreed with that. But then I interviewed Judge Thunheim, who's a federal 
judge. She was in charge of the Assassination Records Review Board. What Shermer doesn't talk about is that two weeks after requesting the prior death threats on Kennedy, the Secret Service destroyed them. That's an obstruction of justice. And that is proven. So like that's for me, like I wouldn't consider myself a conspiracy. That's a conspiratorial subject, 100%. There are some people in there that are nuts. But then there's like a lot of things where you're just looking at like, like it's like COINTELPRO, um, if you know what that was, invading like the Black Panther parties and all that. That was the FBI did that in the 70s. It's like that's believable because it was in the past and not necessarily like something that's like a JFK event or something large and controversial, which I'm like, if you just look at their documents, don't reflect what necessarily they teach in history books. I don't think that's conspiracy. I just think that's like looking at things being like, I don't know, critical thinking. Yeah. And uh, being a conspiracy theorist and believing that there have been real, real world conspiracies, I wouldn't necessarily say the same thing. You mentioned MK Ultra, another kind of so someone who studies public perceptions of science. The uh, the syphilis study that was done at Tuskegee, you know, uh, there was a conspiracy, a cover up, a, a really inhumane one, you know, a crime against humanity done against uh, black people with syphilis, and so. Yeah, that, that, that was a conspiracy and a really nasty one, which reflects some really untrustworthy behavior on the part of institutional actors in, in U.S. history. Do you think media still has the, the credibility it had maybe 20 years ago because of the fact that there's just been an influx of information out there? Yeah, so if you look at public trust in the media, a few things there. Overall, it has declined. So, you know, you go back to kind of the golden age of the media you know, especially when three major networks dominated the conversation, ABC, CBS, NBC. Look back at the 60s and 70s, media trust, it's nowhere near where it was. So that's one thing that's happened is people are more cynical about the media now. Another thing, though, is that it's it's much more fragmented. So there's a lot more choice in media. Uh, you know, in the 90s, you get partisan-oriented cable. Now you've got YouTube, you've got podcasts. And so there's just so many more media platforms to choose from. And so there's no one audience. You know, there's, it's, it's tougher to have kind of a national conversation based off shared messages because not everybody is part of the same conversation. And so people are able to choose sources that reflect their interests and their beliefs more, which, you know, on the one hand, more choice is good. On the other hand, it makes it easier for people to select and to consume media that reinforce their beliefs about the world. Have you ever spoken to anybody about some of their paranormal beliefs or UAP beliefs, these actual serious believers, not necessarily the ones that just kind of dabble their toes in the water a little bit? You know, I've got friends and family members who are varying states, uh, varying points on the continuum. I wouldn't say that I regularly talk to anyone who is deep into it, but, you know, on UFOs, UAPs, I I have my source who is keeping me up to date on some of the things that are going on there. Uh, you know, he he was telling me about all this stuff before it was, you know, a mainstream news story. So, you know, he's telling me about That's got to solidify a little bit for you. Be like, wait, maybe this guy, you know, what's the Powerball numbers or something? Yeah, but you know, I, I, he's skeptical about some of it. He's telling me about the Beyond the Stars Academy and Tom DeLong and man materials and all this stuff. And I'm giving him a hard time. And then, a couple of years later, it's in the news. So I have to, <laughs> yeah, he was ahead of the curve on that one. Do you find that like students are even thinking and talking about these subjects? Like where do you see the age ranges fall for people that are more belief and more non-belief or people that don't even talk about the subject? I, I would have thought the older generation of people like my parents' age or something would have not had any interest or care of what's going on. But then I'm coming across actually a lot of them do have an interest in what's going on, specifically the UAP stuff, specifically things of that sort. Even like my dad was like, I love listening to the UAP stuff. And I'm like, what? We've never ever in my whole entire life have to ever talked to UAPs. He's like, I don't know. I just don't like the government stuff. You know, I never liked listening to the news. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I guess where I get it from. Um, <laughs> but to me, it's just interesting because I never would have thought that the older generations would have even bothered caring about the UAP cryptid stuff. But a lot of the people that I've spoken to on my show are older. In our data, there's there might be little age gaps here and there on stuff like asking people, do you believe that the Megalodon currently exists you know not as a they made two a, movies about it yeah yeah they made two movies <laughs> about it. exactly uh and they aired on a documentary television channel so you know maybe anyway 
you know, people of older generations, they didn't grow up with megalodon being something talked about. So maybe they're less likely to believe the megalodon exists because they're just not part of megalodon discourse. But bigger picture, yeah, there's there's no huge age gaps in being interested in the paranormal, belief in the paranormal. Like you, you think older people might not be as interested, but, you know, there's a huge UFO uh, uh, boom back in the 1950s that got it all started. and then another one in the 90s when the X-Files was popular, you've got Alien Autopsy airing on Fox national television. Millions, so many people turn, tune in to watch it that they rebroadcast it a couple of times. So you've got all the 70s stuff with the timeline books and, you know, the 60s stuff with uh, accounts of uh, lost time and alien abduction. So it's, it's just always part of the culture and the way it manifests. You know, it might go through cycles of pe being on people's radar being buried beneath, but it's but interest in this stuff is is pretty constant over time. Uh, you, you think people there, might go up a little bit, little little down, but this the subcurrent is always there. Do you think that there would still be an interest in it from the media's perspective if there was no profit to be made from it? Well, we we live in a media system where it's it's profit driven industry, you know. Uh, Discovery Channel, they're showing these uh, Megalodon shows and these mermaid shows because a lot of people watch them. You know, a lot of scientists were upset, but a lot of viewers watch them. And in, at the end of the day, Discovery Channel and Animal Planet, they're, they're businesses. You look at YouTube or you look at podcasts, you know, Rogan's making a lot of money uh, from his podcast. YouTube channels, they, if they want to monetize their content, they need viewers. Even, you know, you can hold PBS and NPR up as exceptions, but ultimately even they are dependent on an audience. They need uh, donors and foundations and government support uh, or, you know, nobody, nobody pays attention to them. They, they're going to disappear in the long run. So, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's always, it's going to be appealing for all the different kinds of media to talk about this stuff because people are interested in it. Some people are interested because they believe, some people are interested in because it gives them something to talk about. Some people are interested in it because it's entertaining. What about streaming services? Yeah, so you know, I've kind of been lumping them in with television, uh, just because the if you're talking about platforms like Netflix, and Hulu, and Amazon Prime, because you know, when I talk about my science communication to my students, like talk about TV and you know, prime time. So that that stuff just doesn't really mean what it used to mean. Because I think for a typically young person, does it matter if it's something that originally aired on NBC, like on a live broadcast, or is it something that they're watching on Netflix? That that those even the way we ask the question, we ask people, you know, how much TV do you watch, including watching streaming services on your phone or laptop or a tablet because it's all it's all blurred now but netflix just shows documentaries and a lot of them are paranormal based or uh they have more of that sci-fi aspect to it more than actually what i would consider people's information getting it from television they probably get it more from netflix and all that so the streaming services tend to popularize that because they know it sells yeah and of course the other side is is the cost of putting it together. So, you know, they might be able to get a lot of this content for relatively cheap. You look at, you know, Animal Planet, Finding Bigfoot. How much did it take them to make that show? Probably not that money. much. So, yeah, there's there's profit to be made in this content. It might be worth, you know, now that you bring it up, it might be worth in future studies, you know, kind of separating out, like, how much do you specifically consume streaming services? I think most people probably do that because it's a lot cheaper than cable if you're paying like set. But also Netflix went up in price. That stuff's ridiculous. Yeah, my, my Hulu is going up in price. And so, you know, that model for, for a few years that it was a it was a brave new world of cheap content. And now it's starting to think, oh, well, shouldn't you just like take all of these different streaming platforms and bundle them together into this one service that you get? Oh, you've rediscovered cable. 
So that's the loop. Um, Paul, no, I appreciate, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show. I'm going to ask you one last question and then I'll let you promote your links. But if there's one area that you came up with inconclusive evidence in your study on the media, where would it be? Yeah, that is a good question. Let me think about that. I, yeah. So one thing that we're just starting to get into is why people consume paranormal media. The thinking being that why you tune in to these TV shows or these YouTube videos or these podcasts is related to the effects of it. So people who consume for different reasons might come away with really different experiences with these media messages. Uh, for some people, it's just, oh, this is just fun. For some people, this is this is my truth. You know, this is where I'm getting information. And so we did a little bit of looking into that and found some evidence that it seemed to make a difference for cryptids, that people who are watching, you know, paranormal media content to learn are, are more likely to believe than people who are watching it just for fun. But, you know, it was just some pretty blunt evidence there, and it didn't necessarily carry over the other paranormal phenomena. So I feel like that's an area where we're still kind of figuring out, you know, looking beyond the, the surface patterns of people's media habits and looking more and what is it the actual experience that people have of consuming this media? What does it mean to them? Why do they do it? What do they take away from it? And I think there's lots of research that's still, still left to be done for that, that we're only kind of scratching the surface on that. Would you have a bias in a certain site? Like if you watched a podcast with nothing but skeptics debunking stuff compared to another podcast that highlights the other side, you would consider the skeptic side the truth and the other one not? Yeah, I think if uh, I think if you're a skeptic, you're probably more likely to select into consuming the skeptic stuff to begin with. Uh, if you take two people who are, you know, have no strong opinions, you show them skeptic they listen to a skeptical podcast, they're probably going to be more likely to be skeptical than people who listen to a podcast. It's like, oh yeah, this is real. We believe in this. So yeah, the, the content does matter. I also think the motivations can matter as well. That's it. I was about to ask about the truth. <laughs> what does that lead for the answer of the truth? Yeah, the truth again, you know, I, I'll, I'll say, I'm less about finding the truth and more about finding what people believe about the truth. Uh, so power to the people who want to prove or disprove uh, these things exist. I'm just interested in why they think that. I respect that answer. Paul, I appreciate the time. Is there a place where people can find any of your links? Uh, yeah. So uh, I have a website, uh, prbrewer.com. Uh, that has, uh, I have a little bit about my research on there. I will admit in my spare time, I've been writing, uh, fiction novels about, oh, yeah. uh, spirit hunters. So, uh, contributing some to that, uh, uh, media messages about this topic. So I've got some stuff about there. Uh, I'm on, I won't. I won't give you my Twitter link because I don't don't do anything on there, and it's kind of. I'll link it anyway. Just I'll follow you even if you don't post anything. Okay, I think it's. Uh, I gotta I gotta check. I don't even remember. I rarely use my Twitter too. It's not the best spot. Yeah, it's kind of. It's cool if you want to know what society's thinking about. It'll say like Britney Spears, then UAPs, and then it'll say something like random. You're like, well, that's like a big divide there. Yeah, it's at, at Paul R Brew. Uh, and then I just set up one on, on Blue Sky, which is PR Brewer. What's Blue Sky? It's so you know how in, ever since Twitter started to fall apart, there's like the flavor of the month in terms of challengers. So there's Mastodon, Hive, Threads, Blue Sky. So nobody has settled on, on an alternative. 
I only go onto Facebook to check for birthdays. That's it. Everything else is just done with. But I'll link all your links in the description, your website. Um, obviously, anything I find with your name on it, I'll just toss in there as well, too, so people will be able to click it and check out some of your work. No, Paul, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk um, about some of your work on the – obviously, it's a little bit different. I've had a couple people debunk the paranormal stuff, but I like it because it's both sides of the conversation, which I think is important. Um I'm still going to throw my hat in the middle of the road on that one. I'm not going to answer if I believe or not believe, but um, I appreciate the work that you do. And thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank.